Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks, I am Carl Hartley And I am Max Peterson, and we are in week three of our deep exploration of the forbidden love of Connor Sweeney. Um, <laughs> tagging in, uh, tagging in this time, we're going to be, t- today we're going to be talking about 2019's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But before we get to that discussion, we need to discuss our fabulous patrons. We are a listener-supported podcast. You guys keep the lights on and the mics hot and the special guests Bringing all their forbidden love to us. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Filling us with their love <laughs> sauce. Yeah. So if you head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M, you can get all sorts of incredible stuff, including full-length bonus episodes. And actually, now, as of this recording, one of those bonus episodes has become one of the film's proper um, going forward. So in season four, Carl and I are changing up the way the episodes are being released ever so slightly. We're doing two episodes on the main season feed, which is where you are right now, Spotify, iTunes, one of your pod catchers. But you might not know that there are two other movies per month um, that are released over on... Two whole movies, Max? Two, two entire movies? films featured full-length bonus episodes. One of them is two... Well, that was the last one we did, like 47 hours. Um... But half of every month's theme is going to be dropped over on Patreon.com. Now, you don't need to listen to those episodes, of course, and you're going to always hear the shootouts on the main season. But if you want to hear our thoughts on half of the flicks, you can head over to Patreon.com slash Quillenfilm and uh, and hear the second half of every month's theme. You also get things like very loving and tender shoutouts on the show. So today, Mm -hmm. to thank our patrons, very special, um, special guest, Bird. Bird, who are we thanking today? Casey Scheibe, William Rockwood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. Danielle Hartley. No, no, we don't have that. Who's the, who? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Danielle Hartelli. Yes, there sorry, we are. pronunciation. <laughs> Connor Sweeney, David Rowney, Kelly and Mike Wagner, Brian Jackson, Sarah Hartley, Jeffrey Morgan, Kevin Ramirez, and... Leslie Ty. Okay. <laughs> so I know her name is actually not on there. It's just her email. I had to like go and stalk her a little to find out what her name actually was. Um, so those that's what it that's what it sounds like when we send you some love. So send us a little bit of love and a little bit of your money over at patreon.com slash quill and film. Now without further ado, I think we're gonna have a lot to say. So let's dig into 2019's portrait of a lady on fire. <laughs> Ça fait des années que je rêve de faire ça. Mourir. Courir. 
Vous allez devoir la peindre sans que le sache. Il pense que vous êtes une compagne de promenade pour quelques jours. Que savez-vous de mon futur mariage Rien. C'est tout ce que j'en sais aussi. Quand allez-vous vous marier Je ne sais pas si je vais me marier. C'est parce que vous pouvez choisir que vous ne me comprenez pas. Je vous comprends. Quand vous êtes embarrassé, vous mordez vos lèvres. Vraiment. Quand vous êtes troublé, vous respirez par la bouche. Combien de temps restez-vous Je ne sais pas. J'ai un nouveau sentiment. Le regret. Quel en est le titre Portrait de la jeune fille en feu. All right. I have no idea what anybody just said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So different when you don't have subtitles. That's true. Yeah. So I should should I have been in the background like <laughs> Tell me. Tell me what you're feeling. Regret. Yes, when will you be leaving? Just totally flat monotone Impos- man. <laughs> Impossible, right? Just, just come, um, like all right. Siri is translated. If you guys hadn't gathered by now, this entire movie is in French with subtitles. Was that yes. French, really? That was that language? Huh. No, um, so let's get our special guests um, announced and then get a cast and crew and then dive right in. So just so the listeners can get everyone's voices, Connor Sweeney, say hello. Hello. Dr. Forbidden Love himself. <laughs> that's that's my the... normal voice. <laughs> oh the whole time I was just down at the bottom of my register. I mean, uh, the yeah. last Hello. two episodes. Yeah, I appreciate glad it. to be here again. Yeah, glad to have you back. Um, And then also joining us today for her a multitude of perspectives that we, I feel, are going to greatly benefit from today. Um, My uh, amazing... Artist wife Bird. Bird, say hello. Hello. And Hi, Bird, Bird has a lot. Hey. Bird has a lot of like technical art terms and smart people things to say about oh, this movie. Uh, <laughs> to, to save all of the rest I of know us. About smart people. A lot things. of pressure. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, oh yeah, Bird. Don't don't worry. You're just literally here to make sure that we don't crash this into a wall and tank the podcast forever. So no, no big thing. You got this, girl. I did. I did specially request you, Bird, just because of the content of this film. I thought it might be good to have a, a female spicy. perspective, given that we are three dudes. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, watching the movie, I could there's s- almost no men in this movie. There's so. a there's a whole yeah. bunch of moments where I was watching this movie, and I'm like, thank God, Bird is sitting next to me watching this thing to talk about it. All right, so this movie is written and directed by uh, Celine Sciamma. Um, cinematography by Claire uh, I'm not sure Mathon or Mathon A lot of these names are French I'm going to do my best If I butcher them I apologize Yes Connor Mad props to this cinematographer This is one of the most visually stunning things I've ever seen right here. It's outstanding Yeah it's it's like mouth watering So starring uh, Noemi Merlant Adèle uh, Oh god Adèle Hanel uh, Adèle Hanel uh, Luana Bajrami uh, Valeria Golino, Christelle Barras, uh, Armand Boulanger, Guy Delamarche, Clément Boissou, Michel Clément, and Cécile Morel. Um, very small cast. Even the extras near the end, they are, they are sparsely used. There's not a whole ton of people on screen. 
Um, so I think uh, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, 95% Metacritic, nominated for all just a whole mess of Oscars. So let's start with this. Let's go around. Connor, because it is your forbidden love <laughs> that we are souping our fingers into today. It's not my forbidden love. It's... <laughs> Hold on. Should we, should we let Carl get his... I want to go last with Carl because I, I feel like Carl is going to be the dissenting oh, opinion. So let's start with you. Oh, I hope he's the dissenting opinion. I was gearing up to to wage a full scale, just like defense of the castle all by myself. Let's find out. Okay, so let's start with courage. let's start with you, Connor. First of all, where where did you first discover this movie? How did you come to this film? And then just if you could briefly give us your first initial thoughts um, on yeah, it, and yeah. then we'll work our way around. Um, sure thing. So I came to this, uh, this was on my radar since, um, yeah, early 2019 is when it, I think it first, uh, hit at either TIFF or Sundance early in, in 2019. It played at one of the major festivals early, early on. Um, and I waited like over a year to see this movie because it was a French film. It didn't have distribution in the U S until, um, like kind of late, 2020 i think or, or i'm sorry late 2019 mm. and then it didn't come out on like a disc that you could watch in the u.s until june of last year so th- this was one that i saw on every critics list like everyone who had attended festivals in 2019 had this at not even towards the top most people had this at the top of their list for sure. 2019 this was like the movie to see coming out of all the festivals in early 2019 uh, and I waited and waited, and I hoped that the state theater would get it, and we actually were supposed to get it right. uh, in March of 2020. Oh, I don't know if you guys remember what, what happened. What happened? Something <laughs> come up, or what was it? The, the theater has been closed, along with most other businesses, uh, since early COVID times. So, yeah, sure. we had the fucking poster on the wall at the state, too, and it was in the, like, mm-hmm. coming soon trailer. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God. It, uh, I, cause I was begging my, my boss, Meg at the theater. I had been telling her about this for months and months. And I was like, please, we have to get this as soon as possible. I want to see this movie mm. so badly. Uh, so ultimately I just had to wait until it was available in a format that I could watch it. And you have um, the criterion so was, version, correct? I do have the, yes, I have the, the criterion edition. Um, I saw it just before then, I think on, um, there was some festival or something that I was able to get into like a late streaming sort of thing just before sure. it, it came out on Criterion. But I really got to watch it in all of its glory for the first time last June. Uh, so I had been sitting on this thing for like a year, basically waiting to see it. And just from the trailer, I was like, Gah, I want this <laughs> in my life. And I got to say, uh, upon first viewing, I was not disappointed. This instantly shot to the top of my list for 2019. This is my favorite movie of that year. And one of my favorite movies ever, I think. I mean, it is like, I said this the other day in our Her episode, I I called it an unassailable masterpiece. You did. Which I think instantly flicked off a switch (laughs) in both yours and Carl's mind. And I worry that I may have set expectations too high. No, no. But I I truly, I, I just think this is a singular work of art. Uh, and we'll get into why that is, but I, I truly think this is like when people talk about film as art, uh, not just because of the subject matter, which is art right. itself, but the actual film itself. I, I just think it's 
one of the most gorgeous pieces of art I've ever seen. FCK so, anyway. artist in residence, um, Bird. Would you like to give us? Um, actually, so let's kick it over to you now. This is, I think, this is a good way to talk about it too, because Connor, I said in the last episode that I don't know anybody who knows film like you know film. I don't know anyone in person who knows art the way that my wife knows art. So let me kick it over to Bird. Bird, and we're not talking about art; we're talking about the film. You, this was your first watch this evening. Sat down with me about two or three hours ago and started this film. What are your thoughts on it? First impressions. Give us your your one paragraph review. Oh my god! Um, it, visually, just stunning. The colors. I just I want to chew on them. They're so delicious and rich and perfect. Is that a? Can I say colors are perfect? Of course you can. <laughs> An okay thing to say because they are. Uh, I really think it captures the 1770s painting uh, aesthetic as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You did do some oh, research early on, um, uh, specifically about the way they were framing things, their use of color and shot composition, and you came up with some specific art styles that were from that time period that they may or may sure. not have been sort of referencing. So, Well, I immediately thought Rembrandt, the lighting with the highlight kind of on the face or like face and chest of the actors and the dark background, which is very like it's such a Rembrandt thing that like brighter focal point, dark background, very brown, lots of browns. Um, and I was kind of curious like what specifically um, – what art movements were happening around that time they might be referencing um so i looked up the ones that i thought probably made the most sense neoclassical romanticism and then of course some baroque kind of still clinging on that was a little previous to 1770 but um i figured the painter was probably brought up in a little bit of baroque flavor there so <laughs> sure guess i could uh reference that and I did find an interview with the director, um, Celine Sciamma. And I was curious uh, if she was referencing any pieces specifically, which it, she said in the interview, no, that she didn't, but that she may have been kind of pulling from uh, Jean-Baptiste Camille Corot as an influence, but nothing specific, just kind of how they're framing things and how they're lighting we should kick this this episode specifically over to the listener who helped us out with the um, the Flemish painters on the Midsummer episode because we've got like other art people out in the ether listening. So, oh yeah, I'm not an art historian. This would be so. a good. This would be a really good talk amongst the uh, the art fans in in our in our listenership. Very seldom have we run into movies that deal so specifically with painting and with the visual um, tr tropes of painting. Um, and one of the things I want to get into, and I'll mention it here so someone can help remind me later, but I think it's interesting that the last time Carl and I watched a two-plus-hour French film, it was also about a lesbian relationship mm -hmm. and also about an artist. So, yep. and her muse. Which one was that? Just for the... Blue is the Warmest the, Color. Blue is the Warmest Color. In, in ah, season right. one, we did, we did right. another one kind of like this, which I thought was... The, the parallels between them are really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So, Carl... Let me let me kick it over to you, and I, sure. I believe that you have sl a slightly different take on this film than than the rest of the crew, which I think is good because we're gonna. I think we're gonna end up with a prisoners or an unforgiven here, and I'm fucking stoked about it. <laughs> no, I don't know. So I, it's not gonna get that heated because I just don't care that much. So 
to be completely honest. So I guess the I can definitely appreciate this for for what it is. Cause it is it is beautiful. It's beautifully shot. I think that every frame of this you could pull on you could place on your wall and mm-hmm. admire. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. I literally have that note. I said a th- every frame a thousand, is a painting a thousand I would put percent. on my wall. Yeah. But that does not a good or engaging story make. And I did not find this engaging or interesting in the slightest. I thought the characters were exceptionally boring. I felt that there were large pieces that just, they, the film didn't really, I don't know. It was just, I started really picking it apart too, like from a director, like a directing standpoint. So think of it this way. Imagine going to see an incredible magician that you know has the best stage show that you've ever seen. And every time they go to prestige, they flash. That's what this felt like to me. Like the, I could see the trick being done. So it didn't, it was more about that. Like, Oh, I see what you're doing here. Isn't that clever? And I have several instances of that to cite as we go through, but I was exceptionally bored and I just did not enjoy this film at all. It did feel long. Yeah, that like was, it was long, but it felt long. That was a note that Bird had. Now uh, we did watch another movie. Uh, literally yesterday, I watched another movie for this <laughs> show that was longer than this one. That mm-hmm. didn't feel as long as this one. Now, actually, so Connor, I'm somewhere I think in between you and Bird. So like <laughs> for me, I, I I think this is amazing. I really am a big fan of this film. Um, this to me specifically hit a lot of the sort of hallmarks of French cinema that I really like going all mm-hmm. the way back to French New Wave, which this is not mm-hmm. d- directly influenced by. But there are hallmarks of French cinema that go way, way back to Jean-Pierre Melville and, and previous to him that pop up in this. It scratched that particular art house itch I was looking for after seeing mm-hmm. some more kind of slick produced modern films, modern American films two in a row switching mm-hmm. to an art house film and, and honestly i think a big part of it is the the mindset you're in when you enter a, a movie like this and i needed something slower i needed something a little more uh, meditative <laughs> a little subtler this hit me exactly when i needed to hit it i could totally yeah. see me watching this a different day and turning it mm-hmm. off halfway through like mm-hmm. it, it would really depend on my mindset but watching this sure. movie today this was the right time for me to see this. It hit me exactly right. It scratched all of my French cinema art house itches, and I really, really fell in love with it. I didn't know enough about art to really appreciate it, so a lot of it was like, "Bird, bird, is this a painting? Is this an a is real, this a painting? Is this a real painting that they're making?" It, it, I know. I felt like a lot of them. I was like, "Wait, what is this? I know this painting." I'm like, but- "Whistler yeah. is Whistler. He's a guy, right?" And Bird's like, "Shut the." fuck up and just watch the movie <laughs> there's a lot of that you know <laughs> um so where where do you want to start with this um honestly i had a real problem taking notes with this as i usually do with foreign language films just because i hate to mm-hmm. miss story sure and yeah. also that's hard to do right and the other thing for me was i actually got pretty engrossed in this movie so i would just be like 20 minutes 30 minutes at a clip and then yeah. i'd be like oh shit what happened um uh, something happened here and then a picture caught on fire and fuck that was like an hour ago oh no so my notes are <laughs> yeah. a little sparse no um, that's okay I I you know my my one um sort of regret with this is I is that we're doing it in such quick succession to the episode we did yesterday because sure. I think this is one where um 
like for example, last night I've seen this, I think twice before. Right. So last night I, it took me like four hours to watch this cause I was pausing it every few minutes to like take notes or write down a line that I specifically liked. Right. And that's really hard to do the first time you watch it, especially because it's all in subtitles. And so I think it's why I, I'm not saying that this would necessarily change your mind, Carl, but I do think this is one that certainly requires some study. Uh, and maybe I, just because of the way that I kind of pitched the schedule of this month to you guys, maybe I didn't necessarily give you enough time. Well, to I have been, I have been, it, I have been you know, known for, sort of and I, I think I'm on record and several episodes of measuring flicks, uh, whether it's theater or film, I'll cite an example. Cause I feel like I need to cite examples of things in this episode. Do let's get your uh, footnotes. I <laughs> well, no. So this this has to do with something completely different, but it's uh, so I went to see a show called uh, Burns the uh, the Electric Musical. Yes, or Post Electric Musical. I love this story. Uh, yeah, which is a which is a show that that's about what like uh, imagine post apocalyptic world where the only bit of media that survived were stories of from Simpsons episodes. Hmm. In so okay. ten years, like people are just they're, they're remembering the Cape Fear episode, and so they're doing yeah. it as best they can. But then you go 150 years into the future, and it's become this religion and this really weird thing, like huh. with the Simpsons. And so, I was upset the entire time I'm watching. It's <laughs> like, what the fuck? I hate this. This is the worst thing ever. Like an intermission, I'm like, honey, can we fucking leave? This is dumb. We had to go to dinner at her mom's house, like. And the entire drive, like, honey, you have to drive because I don't know if I can drive right now. Shaking I'm so with fucking, anger. so fucking <laughs> mad that two hours of my life were wasted. I could have been doing anything else, punching myself in the balls for two hours. Two whole hours. Two whole hours. With a, with a break for intermission, right. I think that's doable. That might be 48, doable. Yeah, 48 hours later, I'm seeking out one of the cast members to smoke a cigarette with me in the alley between Bistro Fufu and her restaurant to cry and tell her how wonderful that show was and how it has changed my life and the way that I think about mm -hmm. things oh. and it crept into my soul and it was like I was too dumb to know <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen here but we'll see Well my That's fine. Can I just say sorry right off the the bat sorry to oh, interrupt Matt. My, um yeah. I I I just want to say that I think that like film like any art is entirely subjective and I don't want you to pull any punches because just because this is one of my favorite films and it's one that I brought to you, like I can take it and you are totally, you're entitled to your opinion and it is absolutely as valid as mine because uh, it's how you feel about this film. Connor, so, this man does yeah, not pull 100%, punches. Like, oh, no, I know. I, I know brought, I, just, I brought him <laughs> unforgiven on my, on a, platter and he shit in its mouth yeah. and i brought him prisoners <laughs> telling him that it was like one of the most transformative experiences of my I life the episode, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah um actually my favorite and this is a known thing about carl is it's it's kind of like the way that he doesn't he doesn't like the uh oh god i've forgotten their name the uh, uh the, the cohen brothers yeah how he hates the cohen brothers just one movie that mm, i don't like right and my you know what though i'm on his side there i like about every other cohen movie. no he likes all of them but one. Oh, I like maybe two. I like them Probably all. I'm actually with Carl. I like all of them well, except the one he doesn't like. But this so this is a thing. It's a it's a danger. It's a slippery slope though, because I'm I'm not trying to be like contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. Like and because there yeah. there there's not to not to. 
I don't know. So it's like red letter media, like they're always being contrary just because it's like they're sticking what works. But right. like, I'm, I just don't like this movie because I just don't like this movie. And That's I'll be okay. very honest about That's it. You know? My my favorite. Totally okay. <laughs> yes. And, and we can dive in Absolutely. from that perspective. But my favorite example ever of the of the the Carl Hartley ripple effect when the ripples hit him three days later. It's a thing, man. It totally is. My favorite example ever was hereditary. When, yeah. when we did hereditary, I I sent him a text. I was like, did you finish it? Give me your one word review. And it, his review was like, poop emoji. Yeah. It was like a shit, a shit emoji and like a skull upside down and two middle fingers at me. And I was like, what? And he's like awful. Hated every second of it. I was like, Oh my God. No, sure. No. This is really good. But then the day before we did the episode, which was like three days later, <laughs> I start getting texts from Carl, which is like, can't stop thinking about Hereditary. Woke up in the middle of the night, had an insight into Hereditary. And I, the weird thing was, is even though I started liking it, I was having the same experience where I'm getting deeper into the movie. And then he would text mm-hmm. me like a thing. And I'm like, Carl, I think my house is haunted. It got fucked up. But it all. I, yeah. I certainly wish that we had watched this. Just to watch it before we watched it yeah. to take notes. I agree. I feel like I was, I was having that thought. And too. like Benedict yeah. our dogs or something. Right. I, <laughs> I do feel it's like it's definitely a, not one you can be distracted from at yeah. all. Just because if you're not a fluent French speaker, like I'm sitting there the whole time, just eyes glued at the bottom third of the screen. Yeah. You right. know, the first time I watch it to know what the hell is going on. And, so just because I don't have really specific um, in-order plot notes, I wanted to pitch something to you guys and see what you thought. So in the we have gone through the last two movies more or less chronologically. On this one, I think because of the specifically the pace of the movie, which is slow, and it's not so much about what happens next as what's happening now. So mm-hmm. if you're cool with it, I'd like to sort of broad strokes this one and hit it from... Performance angle per hit. I know yeah, I keep like, being funny like on accident. Like a... Um, but but we could take <clears> the performances. <throat> we could talk about the way that it looks because honestly, again, it's one of those like when you describe Mad Max Fury Road, it sounds so dumb, but it's so amazing. This movie is. There's a girl who uh, a girl whose sister committed suicide, so she has to step back in um Heloise has to step back in and marry the man that her sister was betrothed to as part of like a sort of fam like a arranged marriage mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to mm-hmm. have her portrait painted so a portrait painter shows up on this private island where she lives to paint her portrait in secret the first one doesn't go well so she stays on to paint a second one and while during that period of time she's left alone with this character with with Heloise and fall- they fall in love and then they're by the end of the movie, they're torn asunder. Mega spoilers, obviously, for a portrait Ooh. of a lady on fire. But the plot is so basic and so simple and so not the point of the movie that I think mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. honestly, we can dispense with the plot and talk about the moments that we're actually meant to be looking at. You know what I mean? The, it, 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 in a weird way, in a movie about paintings... W- in which so many of the frames that we're looking at and the scenes that we're seeing are composed like paintings. And we met, you mentioned earlier, you could pick any frame and it would almost any frame in this would stand alone as just a piece of artwork. So one of the things I found amazing is even when the people are moving around, we'll get a static shot. That's very clearly a sort of tableau of a a meant to Mm -hmm. mirror a painting. But when the people are moving in it, even the way that they move, they move so that every frame is still an attractive frame. 
people very rarely are turning their backs. They're cheating out three quarters. They're moving in really slow, methodical ways so that the motion seems. There are parts of this that look like a painting come to life where the mm-hmm. the people are moving yes. around and the it's stunning. It's also very theatrical in that way too. Right. I was going to say a lot of it feels very staged mm-hmm. like yes. So th- in in that way, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that in a weird way this movie is more about the st- still images than the movement of the plot. It's it for being a sequential <laughs> medium film, this really is not doesn't utilize that medium that intensely because that wasn't the point of what they were going for um so anyway if you guys want to start somewhere near the beginning or if you want to where where do you want to jump in where would be a good spot to examine i I could i could i could jump this off if you don't yeah let's do it so actually i the first 30 minutes of this movie i feel completely different about than the second hour and a half um (laughs) this film from the first frame it for some reason made me think of a bottle of wine and this is what I mean. A bottle of wine is alive inside, right? It's continually changing. Depending on when you drink that bottle of wine, the flavors can change. You might get a little more fruit. It might be more acidic. But the wine itself inside is is forever changing. Movies are like the same. They're, they're very much the same in that what is bottled and is captured in the can exists. But depending on when and how you watch it, it changes so time outside the bottle is what is changing rather than the time inside the bottle. And I'll, for some reason, when she was approaching in that, in the boat in the very beginning, it made me think of that Hmm. where it's, this is, we're going back to the 1700s where none of us have any perspective. We can read books on it. We can, we can read historical documentation and letters and know, get an idea. We can listen to Mozart and have an idea of what the, the emotional um, uh, sort of currency of the time was right but we have no idea. So we have this little message in a bottle that starts beautifully. And it's a, and it's a story that we know we're, we're going to be introduced to. I, and it just made me think of that, that this is, this whole story is like a message in a bottle in a way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And then the message in the, so if the, this message is captured in 2019 representing the 1770s, right? Yeah. Was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can see I, I kind of see what you mean that once you crack that 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 bottle, that time capsule is stuck where it where you where they were when they made it. Where they were. But we exactly. might be somewhere else. I can kind of mm-hmm. I mean honestly, one of the things that this movie one of the unexpected consequences of the last two years is when she's in that gallery at the end, I have a hard time looking at the art because there's so many people in one room all breathing on each other. That's fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> Hearing people coughing in a, th- in a crowded theater is it just like raised the hairs on my arms and back of my mm-hmm. neck. It didn't take me out of the scene, but there is stuff in here. That definitely yeah. reads different just because of how the world's changed for sure. And I do feel like this film is the perfect yin to the yang of her where her was all about thousands of pictures and scrolling and the ease of access to all of that and it's where there's a thousand people and no nothing really matters where this is in a time where photography didn't exist if you wanted a picture of yourself you had to be drawn or painted and then that existed in one space and in one space only you had to be in that room present with that image to be able to look and appreciate it 
And if you wanted something, you really had to want it for this for this mother to hire an artist. To, it's not like having a photographer come over and take your picture. Right. You had to you had to send letters to Italy or to France or wherever to find this person. And then they have to come by boat to your island. <laughs> and you know what I mean? So back then, if you if you wanted something, it wasn't that you wanted it. You needed it. And that's the note that I have sort of for this entire like a thesis for the whole thing is they don't want each other. They need each other. I like right? that a it's, lot, actually. It's, it's not about wanting. It's about needing. I don't want. So how do we change that? I, I want to be a writer. I want to be a musician. I want to be an actor, too. I need to be a musician. I need to be a writer. I need to be an actor. They need each other. I, I have a thought about your your comparison of this and her, and I think that you made it. You made a good. Uh, you distinguished those two films from each other really well. Where her is kind of about a society that's trapped in perpetual overstimulation. Mm-hmm. This that might be why this movie hit me so perfectly today. Is this yep. is a movie where overstimulation has not been accidentally invented yet you know we're not at that point in human society yet one of the big things that these people have to deal with is terminal boredom most of the time one of my going to mass so you can hear music right one of my instead of just being on your ipod one of my favorite things well that she says that that's one of the uh, she's willing to trade a life in a nunnery essentially because there it has its advantages I get to sing and listen to music and I get time with solitude and there's a library. I get to read books. She's willing to literally trade her whole life for a few pieces of entertainment and some peace and quiet, which she also gets to do what she wants as a woman in the 1770s. If she lives in a convent, exactly rather than bend to the will of Mm -hmm. the men, the unseen men that are controlling the fates around her and the fates of all the women in this time. Right. Um, So it sounds, is that where you want to go with this, Connor? Do you want to dive right into the sort of the Um, the subtext of the film? Yeah, definitely. Can I read something real quick? So I've got this Criterion edition, and the great thing, as I'm sure you know about Criterions, is they always have someone do an essay about Mm -hmm. the film. And I just wanted to read, this is by Ella Bittencourt, who's a film critic. Um, And just a a brief paragraph from this essay, I I think really... um, just really stuck out to me when I was reading it. Um, So Siyama has referred to Portrait of a Lady on Fire as a manifesto about the female gaze. Few directors have embraced the idea of women's autonomy as radically as she has. In this film, the consequences of men's authority are omnipresent, but women take the reins and their isolation becomes a measure of their freedom. Indeed, the film creates for a time a world in which its main characters can exist nearly free of male scrutiny. For a long, exquisite stretch, Marianne and Eloise do almost nothing but look at each other. The artist observing the subject, the subject beginning to return her gaze, their relationship unhurriedly developing and deepening and taking on erotic tension. So that's my kind of thesis on this whole thing. Is it? it and again, I am a man, so this is coming from that perspective, but that's what I got from it, is this is about... The female gaze, this is about women and their world outside of men, despite the fact that, as I said before, men are clearly kind of orchestrating the puppet strings behind the scenes in all of this. I mean, the whole reason that Marianne is on this island is to paint a portrait which will be sent to Heloise's suitor 
which he will then look at and decide whether or not he wants to go through with this marriage based on what she looks mm -hmm. like in that portrait. I believe that's that's how it worked is they were sent. It's basically like sending a picture and then he looks at it and goes, yeah, that'll do. And then agrees to this arranged marriage. And that's that's how it happened. And that's kind of her mother kind of explains that to Marianne, too, when she's referencing her portrait. Um, and <laughs> she even at that. But sorry, I'm jumping around here. But because um, she says it was waiting for me when I arrived yeah. here. She says that about her portrait like it was it's its own entity. And in that respect, I kind of looked at it like a piece of their soul too. Like the portrait kind of has captured a part of their spirit, uh, especially the part that might want something different in their life mm -hmm. other than this arranged marriage. So that was a lot all in, in one thing, but um, yeah, anyway, something to kind of start with. I think it's, it's really, this is a film about women. This is a film about women outside of the control of men, but always still under their control as well. Like if that makes any sense, like mm -hmm. they can't escape the patriarchy, but this Island gives them just the slightest respite from it, even for a week or two, however long Marianne is there. It's another, it, I think in, you've seen every movie's ostensibly been about some form in some way about forbidden love. but we talked in her for the first time about this concept of the gilded cage where you, you have every, you think you have everything that you want, but really the things that you think that you want have just trapped you. And in a, this is a sort of different take on that idea to me because they get five days together, and that's when they just sort of discover that they have feelings for each other. Mm -hmm. Very, very early feelings. And then they get a second crack at, they get a second bite at the apple. They get five more days, but this time they get five unsupervised days. And in that, Five, in that five-day span, something blossoms. But the thing that you forget about, given the the more uh, the uh, languorous is definitely the wrong word, but the more deliberate pace, the more relaxed pace of yeah. this movie, you forget often that every time the, it falls to night, that's another day gone. Then it's another the day. Clock gone. is ticking <laughs> on this relationship from the very start. Yeah. Right, so and it's doomed from the very start. We know that. Right, there's very little chance that zero Heloise is not going to marry this guy just and, because of the conventions of the time. Right, and seventeen. There's only one way to escape that, and her sister found it. I yeah. well, and there's and there's the convent, <laughs> but then her sister took that away from her too. Right, exactly. Um, it like I think they say like doomed me to her fate is one of the lines she earlier did. in mm -hmm. there. Uh, but I turned. Yes. There was a point where I turned to Bird and I was like, the worst thing about this is there. These two women have literally no chance at all to make any kind of a life for each other. This this even if the mom dies while she's away, this does not work. It's kind of the Brokeback Mountain conundrum, which is I was just like, gonna say that's that's why yep. I put these two both on the main feed, not just because it's ostensibly a gay male story and a lesbian female story. Sure. So kind of opposites in that respect, but also they're very similar in the respect of because of the trappings of their time, there is no way that either of these right. couples could ever be together. Right. Um, and, and so you kind of know that they're doomed from the start, which adds a layer of tragedy uh, to the whole proceedings. Um, I want to, I want to kick something over to to Bird here because one of the things you talked about um, the female gaze and how they spend literally an hour of this movie just looking at each other. Mm -hmm. That I'd was, love to hear Bird's perspective. On yeah, that. that that is one of my early notes on it. So, Bird, do yeah. you have do you have thoughts about specifically? And I know 
specifically about the performances of the two women and the way that they look at each other and the the use the way that the camera stays still on subjects for really long stretches what are your thoughts in that direction i I think the conversation has to start with what is the male gaze Uh, it's something that we learn about a lot in art school um, how things are depicted or were depicted um, how classical like canonical pieces of art or literature are written Um, we don't ever talk about the female gaze because it's not a thing Uh, because just simply because of patriarchal culture and that's where we live and where we are um so it's really interesting to see the director saying that this is a work of the female gaze because that's like totally outside of my like uh, vocabulary artistic vocabulary um but i definitely agree that that is what this is well can you can you specifically define then um your like your take or your conception of the male gaze so that we have something to contrast it against sure the male gaze is how women are typically depicted in art or literature they're solely there to be a beautiful or sexy thing for men to look at and lust over so there's there's not the opposite of that for women typically Sure. So like a, a, a mainstreaming modern example would be like sex sells as an advertising concept. Sure. Okay. Yeah, like that sexy, big, busted woman eating a burger and being really sexy. Like that's very male gazy. And also mm-hmm. how women are positioned in paintings or photographs. They're usually not looking directly at the viewer. Because that would be challenging. Because they, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. A good modern example of that is look at the cover of any comic book featuring a male superhero versus a comic book (laughs) featuring a female superhero. I guarantee you it's going to be ass first, head turned, looked over the shoulder. If it's Black Widow, if it's Captain America, well, it is America's ass, so it might be. But no, you're going to have the full, it's completely nine times out of ten, it's butt cheeks. And yeah. then, the, you know what I mean? So right. yeah. one of my favorite things is there was a, a comic book artist who took the, I think the cover uh, or the first poster for the Avengers or something and basically reversed it uh-huh. because on that poster, all of the male heroes have a real power stance. And yep. then Black Widow is doing the classic uh, comic book stance of ass towards the camera. Yep. And then she's like facing backwards, but then is turned around. So yeah. you see her face it's as well. That's what I was saying. Really it's unnatural yeah. pose. Like, no, no woman ever does that because you're going to get, like, a crick in your back. Like, that's right. just uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And so they took this poster and reversed it so that all of the male heroes just have big butt cheeks. <laughs> Shiny spots. Wearing, yeah, they're all wearing, like, thongs, well, too. Well, you, know you know Hemsworth. You know Hemsworth, Scott. just, like, Scott. standing there, power stance, straight forward. So this is a nice, yeah. nice reversal. Men are drawn... <laughs> Or painted in in such a way that would be sexy to a woman, uh, right? You know, in a heterosexual, right. normative kind of. Sure. I think it's telling too that Marianne mentions uh, to Heloise at one point that she's not allowed to view nude male subjects in her class because they don't want women to be able to g- draw the great subjects, like you know the David or or whatever, like all of those great male figures in art. 
she's not allowed to even use a nude male model because that would allow her to familiarize herself with the male anatomy. And it's, it, it comes off like it's not even a, a sexual repression thing, but a, they don't want her to be equal with a man in terms of painting and ability to draw the great male figures of art, which I, I found really interesting when she said that, like just another way of, of keeping women down in that respect. But right. And and that yeah. actually went over my head the first time or when they, when I first encountered it and it took me maybe 20 more minutes to put together what that actually meant, which is men must be just terrified of women. Like, <laughs> well, they are. What? Well, I I thought yep. she meant that like uh, by not being allowed to paint nude male figures, um, she just there was a, a like an element of her artistic knowledge that was lacking, so she would never be allowed the full toolbox to be a, a complete artist. But actually, mm-hmm. in the 1770s, a lot of and as we see it in the art gallery later, a lot of these paintings are from mythology and from history. And so she doesn't get to paint David or she doesn't get to pick Orpheus, for example, Orpheus, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. So which we'll talk about later by having no male figures to base her paintings on. And she actually does submit paintings under her father's name in order to paint Mm -hmm. these figures. And she studies male models in secret. Right. As she says, she she is familiar with the anatomy. So so think of think of any of a million famous, famous paintings or famous works of art. And those subjects are often men from mythology or men from ancient history and those were the the subjects that were popular during that that kind of classical period and in the 17th. right if you were a woman and you were only allowed to paint women depicting famous women who do you get you pretty much only get mary right well there's a like, pretty right there's or a like pretty aphrodite out- or something that's about right. it. lilith yeah. there's a like, great painting of lilith from this time period but yeah you are left women essentially and a lot of i'd say it, it's fair it's not great the the painting of Lilith? Oh, you, you and I. Yeah, it's, the, Lilith is fair. You're uh, you're I'm out of your god joke. damn mind. I'm making yeah, a joke. Like, yeah. Lilith fair, Max. Yep. A that was that was a really festival. really. Uh, oh, okay. is it? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> like. Pun, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was like. I'm like, but her. She's not even blonde. She's traditional. That was a really <laughs> dumb joke. You can let, scratch that. Carl, was, did you get was, the joke? I, I did. did. I, was, joke? I, I did get it. I was just gonna let you sit there and like kind of drown a little. Why, why do we <laughs> let you <laughs> idiots run the world? I'm sorry. Lilith Fair is a famous music festival that gotcha. or was a famous music festival back in the day that a lot of like lesbian musicians would play at. Okay. So, yep. so. Anyway. <laughs> so now that Bird has established the male Sorry. gaze and we've completely derailed that thought process. We stuck our foot in it. I, I would I wanted what I want to do is so now that we've established what the male gaze is, Bird, specifically, I want to hear your thoughts on how this film differs from that. I mean, obviously, we're not getting the tits and ass uh, that you would get from it. Uh, Think harlots or Mm -hmm. some other sort of period type drama that's also supposed to be really steamy. Sure. Um, The troubadours or whatever the fuck that television show was. Because we don't have these women like with their breasts like just like falling out of these right. dresses they're and they're not busty even to begin with they're you know like average bodied ladies i mean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i 
it feels like the wrong movie to like make a best of the breast nomination in but uh oh, i mean there's a really nice boob yeah role. i mean that's dude that's how that award works it's it is literally like the, the best breasts you see on screen but you during know that year. and that's they're beautiful she's a beautiful it's breast. breast it's it's just there they're lounging it's not like look at my titties yeah yes the, the mood is different for the sure mood. yeah absolutely. i think yeah, they're not presented in a way right. that they would be presented to a male viewer. Right. right. Sure. They're very much shown just relaxing and they happen to be naked or like when she's smoking her pipe at the beginning, mm -hmm. she's getting dry by the fire because she just swam I the didn't shore. Even, I didn't even realize she, I didn't realize she was fully naked until yeah. the like the scene cut because I was just so taken by She's cold the, as shit. The, she's got the, <laughs> the composition of that shot too, by yeah. the way, was just mm -hmm. fucking breathtaking. Right, drying. I didn't even realize she was naked until like, oh, oh, she was naked. I was looking at the canvases drying and the fire and the smoking and the. Ooh, it's, it's taking it all in. It is not the first nor the last. Well, it is the first and not the last time that we will see a triptych of of figures in front of that fire mm -hmm. in exactly mm -hmm. that arrangement. And I love this first one. Um, because she does jump into the ocean to get her canvases mm -hmm. and then she has to dry her canvases and herself by the fire so what we end up with is two blank canvases one on either side of the hearth and then she's mm. sitting directly in front of it naked and smoking a pipe as all three dry and what you end up with is three essentially a triptych uh, you have three panels mm -hmm. the, the image mm -hmm. is broken down that way and what you end up with is two blank blank canvases and her naked as in my mind as canvas this is the absolutely this is the beginning the artist's empty the canvas is empty everything mm -hmm. is drying and it, it really equates her with her work it, it equates yeah. art and artist for me in my head in a really beautiful way i liked it a lot um, oh, fuck. bird bird did you have more to say on the female gaze i feel like we did the typical male thing of jumping in and interrupting mm -hmm. <laughs> I, and I want to be I really cognizant of that in this episode. So I'm so sorry for my part in that. And did you have more to say on that? Because I think you only got part. Yeah, yeah, I think what you were that, saying. Um, <laughs> gotta find that thread again, guys. Um, I think <laughs> that yeah, the men. nudity is presented in a very naturalistic way, not in a presentational way. Um, and also, the sexuality isn't presented in a presentational way. It just kind of happens the way it's supposed to happen. Obviously, there is, you know, blocking or staging happening so that you can capture it correctly on film. But it's not I don't, sticky. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, it's not saucy. Like, it's just very real. They don't, they don't amp mm -hmm. it up. Did you, can I interject br briefly? Yes. Not Go to, uh, there's, uh, so with <laughs> Blue is the Warmest Color, that was a movie that alleged to be like, a, tr a this is what a real lesbian romance looks like. And I think that that movie got a lot of the romance elements correct, but it completely yeah. fucking blew it in all of the sex scenes because the sex scenes yes. are just 100% the male gaze. That's all it is. It's porn. I would honestly, yeah. I mean, I, directed I, by a man, correct? Yeah, I think I think we need to be careful about yeah. porn. I said that kind of flippantly. I don't actually think it's pornography, but I think that it's shot using the conventions and the idea and the flavor of pornography. It is the, uh, the sex we, scenes. In we that, go into that in the episode. Yeah. I mean, we do. I, haven't, yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but if I recall correctly, there was some question to outside 
the movie of consent, right? With those actresses, they yeah. were made to feel like not. We address that in that in that episode. That. Okay, yeah, I, I do remember the episode you guys talking about that. Yeah, it's a it's a it's I a think this very difficult sorry, movie ahead. to talk about. Um, yeah. but we both came away absolutely loving it. Like Blue is the warmest color is a very good film, but it does have its failings, and one of those failings mm-hmm. are is its sex scenes and its approach yeah. to female sexuality in a very in a very male gazy kind of way, and it has a very uh, lecherous eye that the movie yeah. in some spots but at the same time that film oh go ahead uh, maybe tellingly i did not like blue is Ormus color at all right. but i liked this movie well that movie was like three hours and 27 <laughs> minutes long so it was right. horribly long it was forever it was really long <laughs> that's long. a long movie um so do you have more it's, on the it's oh sorry go ahead no no connor you haven't spoken in a while go for it oh i was just gonna say it's it on this same topic of kind of um, just consent and staging and kind of the difference between a male director's eye and a female director's eye is um, Celine Siama, the director of this movie uh, is a lesbian woman herself. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, was dating Adele Hanel who plays Heloise at the time the film was shot. I don't think they're together any longer. I think they're still friends because they do a lot of appearances together and stuff, but I believe they were romantically linked at the time of this this film because they've done a few movies together. Uh, so that that's just uh, sort of an interesting meta layer yeah. to the film, like directing your own girlfriend and also just the idea that she's coming at it from a totally different perspective than a male directing two women in a mm-hmm. sex scene with each other. She not only has the experience herself of being a woman who dates women and who has sex with women, but she is very close to the subject in real life and can kind of maneuver that in definitely a different way than a man with just two actresses he's hired could ever be able to do. So that's I, an, that's, I, I just thought that was interesting as well. Another layer to it. Yeah. That's an interesting sort of meta too, because one of the main, one of the main reasons why she is here is because the male can't paint her. So mm-hmm. only a woman can paint this story right. he wasn't right? able to she wouldn't sit for him yeah so that's right that's very cool that's very interesting i dig it do you okay so i'm so what i'm trying to do is i have something i want to say about the female gaze but i don't want to just throw my notes out so i want to see if anyone else thought had the same thought that i did or noticed the same thing or responded to the same thing connor do you specifically have anything to say about the female gaze in this movie for that middle hour I'm trying to tease this out. I could just throw it on the table, but like I, I feel like oh sure no go go ahead and say what you've got to say, and I'll yeah. see if it matches with. So I have a lot of notes and a lot of quotes sure. that I thought were especially relevant, and just lines that I wanted to pull out, especially because it is a a French subtitled film. Sure, the English lines. I, I but, yeah, there's just a lot I want to talk about, but go ahead with what you're gonna say because I want to hear okay what you've got first. So one of the things that I really loved about this movie, especially at, halfway through, Bird was reading. Uh, we took a little break, and Bird was reading an interview with Celine Sciamma, and that was the first time mm-hmm. that I'd heard that term, the female gaze. So that started coloring the way that I was watching the action of the movie. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I absolutely adore about the way this movie is done is the synergistic way. That the performances and the cinematography work together, the, the, how beautifully they support one another. Because 
so much of this movie is shot with close these close lingering moving shots and in her we actually got something really similar essentially silent pov shots that represented memories from through someone else's eyes so much of this movie is and actually i remember this being something that i said it was a positive in blue and the warmest color as well especially in the early parts when the women are first meeting each other this movie does it infinitely better but the what we're seeing is on screen the plot is a painter is trying to see all of the small details of another person but they can't get a good angle on her that is exactly what we see in the camera work this close lingering camera work that gives us time mm-hmm. to see what Marianne is seeing not and I don't mean we get 10 seconds so oh this is what Marianne is looking at that's what we're looking at we get a minute we get 60 seconds which at the 40 second mark and I know this is m- m- like subdividing a single shot which can get a little confusing but at the there is a point where you feel like the shot is going on too long and it's 15 seconds after that that you see what you're meant to see and it is a revelation mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm. I almost wept when we are walking next to Heloise up the stairs. And no, it's on the beach. And she they've got the scarves over their faces. And I'm like, all right, Ugh. what am I what am I specifically there's a detail that I'm meant to see here. There's something that Marianne is noticing because otherwise she would have looked away. And I would have looked away. But she's still looking, so I'm still looking. What oh my god, it's the blue veins around her eyes that lead up into her forehead, up into her hairline. It's seeing that tiny detail and knowing and, and knowing suddenly and not no, discovering suddenly something else about Heloise that I wouldn't have seen if I would have just glanced at her and noticed there's a beautiful blonde woman walking. So much of this movie could have been just windswept cliff, beautiful blonde woman, let's linger on her for a moment, and now we're done. But instead, we truly, genuinely get to see the small oddities, the small strange things, the little imperfections, the the small details that make a, a human being really beautiful. Um, and for me, it was seeing the, that sort of delicate blue vein next to her eye because that to me is not traditionally something that's beautiful. Being able to see like a large web of veins in a person's face, like just saying that sounds weird or sounds unusual or gross, Mm -hmm. but because of the way that it's presented, because of the color palette that's used, because of the utter absence of score because sometimes score can be distracting it can be used to like oh our scene is weak our shot is weak let's put some strings behind it and really get you're supposed to feel hopeful right now feel hopeful that's right yeah well you (laughs) have a specific composer who you complain about um trying to manipulate people's emotions intentionally with their score it was the guy who did the toy story score what's his name um, oh, Randy Newman. Randy, Randy Newman. Newman. Yeah, Carl. <laughs> we Carl once went off on Randy Newman for like thirty minutes, and it was all valid points. It really was. And and the big complaint there was, score can be a crutch when your images are weak. Score mm-hmm. can be a crutch when your actors can't perform. There's mm-hmm. no score in this. The only score in this is performance by actors on screen, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Because I I feel like without with it with no score to distract me 
when I'm given a long shot, I don't get lost in the soundscape. I love Jim Jarmusch, but sometimes his long shots are really just a chance for me to listen to Squirrel. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that is not the case here. I'm I'm sitting in silence, staring at one image, trying to figure out what the fuck. I'm meant to be discovering and that can be frustrating the way that Marianne is frustrated by her inability to capture the essence of Eloise and then as the movie goes on those long those lingering shots become more intimate we get better angles and we start to see we start to see that to borrow again from Edgar Allan Poe as I always do that some strangeness of proportion that separates Heloise from a shop window dummy or separates Heloise from a neoclassical portrait with its conventions and rules and oh there are there's a great line in there where she's the first painting Marianne is defending her first mm-hmm. painting by saying well yeah okay there's but there's there conventions rules, there's rules I have to ideas. Yeah. and Heloise challenges her with you mean there's no life and then the no rest, presence <laughs> yep no presence yep. and one of the things that I, to speak specifically about the female gazes, I, I start to realize that we're not just, there is a certain point where these shots are not just showing us the details that Marianne is going to capture in her portrait of Heloise. It's the details that is that are imprinting Heloise onto Marianne's heart. We're not looking at things to paint anymore. We're looking at things to fall in love with. And one of the th- reasons that I love that so much is is because it plays to this one of this movie's great strengths. I think is its slow pace, because early in this movie I was chafing against that pace because I wanted the relationship up and running. I'm like, why are they not together? We need to get. I know this movie's two hours, but like, we need to get to the meat. We need to get them like they're a couple, and now <laughs> and now they're shopping first. You know, but. But I realized that doesn't happen until like act three. Yeah. And and that doesn't happen in real life basically ever. So I realized that I we talked about it on her, which you can go and listen to on Patreon.com. But um, in that episode, we were talking about how one that and that movie has a lot more to do with like Internet porn and things like that. Um, But men expecting automatic immediate compliance from women in i in relationships in movies that are male driven like for example in any movie where the relationship is being driven by the man or the male character there's a certain timeline that that follows he relentlessly doggedly pursues this woman she usually puts the brakes on really hard and i'm talking about a hollywood movie here she says no she's resisting he does all sorts of questionable shady shit to really like let's get this going let's get up on the feet we need to be dating uh, I mean, it's the famous, it's that whole, like, I don't want any games thing. Like, I don't want to play games. Are we going to fuck or what? Like, it's, that's the timeline that's set by, by dudes in relationships in a lot of Hollywood movies. So it's weird to see a relationship unfold at its own pace. A, a, a relationship that's allowed to mature and mostly mature in looks. I don't think I've ever seen, I, this to me, the, the ke- sexual chemistry, the romantic chemistry sexual chemistry and just general um on-screen presence together in all of those aspects i think that these two actresses um noemi merlant and adele hennel rival um what we saw in brokeback mountain absolutely this might be the most sexual chemistry i've ever seen between two performers that's incredible it's outstanding i i'm blown away by it and most you, you talked about how this movie, it, I think it was from the essay that you quoted from a second ago, slowly adds 
uh, tension, emotional tension, mm-hmm. sexual tension, and erotic tension, and erotic yeah. tension. That's a perfect word for this because honestly, the stuff in bed, that's not even what's hot to me. What's hot to me is when they are within five inches or six inches of each, of oh. each other and breathing <laughs> and the, mm-hmm. the weight of their sexual longing is so great that Marianne has to close her eyes because if she opens her eyes, then all bets are fucking off. Like yeah. it, it, the, this movie one of the simmers. one of the most erotic scenes in this movie is Marianne playing the piano and Heloise just sitting there on the bench next to her, just staring her down, like just staring. And like every once in a while, her lip kind of quivers a little bit and her eye like kind of has a little tick for a second. Like there's just microscopic movements in her face as she's watching her and just falling for her while watching her play the piano. The piano and sequence. It is so, so just that word again, erotic. Like you're just watching someone be consumed by another person and this feeling they have. And she references it later on. She says like, you know, do you know when I, when I wanted to kiss you? And it was early, early on, way earlier than any, you know, than we thought watching the movie. It was, I thought it was going to be the piano sequence Uh, because for, that was the first moment that I noticed that, that, uh, you know, we always talk about how you can you can translate a relationship or you can bring a relationship to the screen just based on your physical proximity to an actor. How close are you willing to get to someone else? And I love that they they have a reason to be close. They're sitting close on a bench. But when you put when you put two you know two people that close to each other, it creates automatic tension. And then when you have Heloise sitting there and you see the slow thaw of that veneer of anger that she has mm-hmm. been wearing this entire film as this piano piece is being played. And it's because Marianne is not paying attention to her. She's focused on the piece right. of music, so she's let her guard down, and Heloise sees Marianne for the first time. And in seeing Marianne, we see her lips soften. It, you're, it's all that microfacial stuff you were just talking yeah. about. It's that Daniel Day-Lewis level acting where you get... It's just the, micro wow. expressions. Yeah. It's, it's like the eyes. The like squint around the eyes relaxes. The mouth yeah. softens, and then it you get that Mona Lisa smile. That t- it's the first. That is the first time in the movie that Heloise smiles. Later we see teeth. Mm-hmm. Later it becomes a more overt yeah. smile. But this this is that it's first. Like, yeah, this is this is like the first time that a dog that's been beaten its entire life wags its tail a little bit. It's and it's not that because that's that's not a good metaphor for her, but it's that small amount of joy in an otherwise bleak individual who's been she sprints toward a cliff on their first walk together. And now now she might actually Mm -hmm. be about to smile. But oh, fuck, I can't remember the music. And then the moment passes. But it's dude, my it's just and the other thing is and I know I know this sounds strange to say especially because we've been talking about the male gaze and we've been talking about but dude this movie is hot this movie is fucking sexy this is it it absolutely is it totally is it's a a way that is not the typical what you would think of as hot to a man you know I mean this that's one of the things I fell in love with about this movie is it is a very erotic very sexual I mean it's it's a movie that turns you on because you're like damn these two are really really into each other like you just find yourself sitting there going like imagining yourself in those characters and saying like god what is that like you know just to to have that level of just instant chemistry with someone 
and instant just it's like i said before she's consumed by her like it, they just take over each other's lives for those five days and it's by and they waste i love that they acknowledge that they waste time too because really the relationship's only about three days long they they take that first two to crack the seal um i want to jump to bird and then jump to carl this is something we used to do bird when we had chapman and robin um and we were working our way through lost girls every episode we would ask did it did it get you hot so i think this would be a good time um i want to kick it over to you and i wanted one if you had any thoughts about what I had noticed about long shots and looking at the little details and the way that women look at each other as opposed to the way that a man would look at a woman in, in a traditional romance film. And then also, was this movie sexy is the other question <laughs> that I wanted to kick over your way. So give me your thoughts on that. And then same two questions to Carl afterwards. Um, I guess I need to watch this movie again. Uh, no is the answer. It didn't get me hot. And I went in expecting to get hot. So I'm kind of disappointed. Okay. Um, I think more for me, it was the, like, the level of tragedy. You you know it can't work, and yet they're still going to kind of, like, go for it anyway, that summer fling kind of thing that has an end date. Um. So versus how a man would act or look with a woman, I feel like it's all about the eye contact. Um, how that's that is where they're focused the whole time is like their their eyes, their face. It's not about the body. Um, whereas a man would kind of go for the assets, you know. <laughs> um, assets. <laughs> <laughs> um. And to speak to the shooting, I felt like it was shot um, not as though the camera was another viewer or you are shooting a movie, but more um, this can the camera is um, not Heloise. What's the other Marianne? Marianne. Marianne looking back at these memories. These are her yes. eyes looking back at the memories or. Um, like how you sometimes dream and you are seeing yourself inside your dream. Kind mm. of that's how I felt that it, it was shot. Interesting. Um, which actually could be kind of interesting if you think about that's how the director is shooting her own girlfriend. <laughs> that she's right. shooting as she's shooting memories of yeah. her own girlfriend that she's going to look back on. And that's where she was. It doesn't seem voyeuristic at all, Mm -mm. which a lot of male-directed sexy movies, quote-unquote, are very voyeuristic. You you feel like a fly on the wall watching two people go at it. Whereas Mm -hmm. this, it's like you said, I mean, that is the framing device of the movie is it's, you know, it's it's Marianne's art class. And uh, ostensibly she's, I don't think she's telling her students about this. I think she's just remembering after being sparked by a student who finds the mm-hmm. the titular portrait of the lady on fire at the beginning. But um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, I, I can't really say it any better than you. It, you're, you're gazing into memories as one of the characters, either as Heloise or as Marianne, whose memories they pretty much are rather than just, just looking through the keyhole. Right. You're you not know? an outsider. Like you, like you do in a lot of, 
of movies directed mm-hmm. by men. So yeah, this movie was very sensual. I I wouldn't say that it was erotic. I would say that it was romantic because you don't actually see the like sexy sex. You see the like the postcoital cuddling or the pre sexy sex. I don't know. That armpit gag was pretty hot though. <laughs> Honestly, dude. Pretty fucking cool, actually. I'm with you. I'm actually with you on that one. Fucking uh, blew my mind. She she has talked about that in interviews. Like she literally did that as a joke because she's like, I think this would be funny because it looks like a hand in a vagina, but it's an armpit instead. Shocked and me for I three to I five seconds. That. Really confused for a moment. I was like, Lars von like, Trier didn't the- even cross this Rubicon. This is, oh wait, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's an armpit. A, that's you look at it, you're like, this is very graphic. I, I would, dude, I was like, I need to text Connor because what in the <laughs> fuck just happened? Oh no, wait, armpit. It's it's literally like the when you take a picture of your elbow and send it, be like, right. look at my butt, you know? And uh, yeah. It, it the was, old finger trick. It was, yeah, but yeah. Um, so really quick, be, just be, before we move on, I wanted to jump back. And Carl, I want to get your thoughts on those two things as well. I kind of suspect I know yep. the answer to at least one of them. But do you want my answer now? Yeah, yeah. Well, so what did you think of? <laughs> yes. Right. No. So about specifically about the the camera work, the way yeah. that the women look at each other, and whether yeah. or not it was sexy. Sexy, no. I figured. Not even a little. I figured. Okay. Um, not even the armpit. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I knew exactly what it was like right away. I'm like, what? This that's just odd. Okay, moving on. <laughs> but I think I think that I mean you're both lauding the acting, and that's and that's fine. I did not see any of that in the performance in this at all. <laughs> Zero, none of it. I think a lot of it is we're talking a lot about the male gaze, and I think that. Sometimes when it comes to performances, especially performances that are very still and perhaps nuanced, we you mentioned Mona Lisa, and some people think she's smiling, some people think she she isn't. I think there's some of that going on, but it's a lot of blank stares and Kristen Stewart shit for me going on in this flick, like a lot. I will hear no Kristen Stewart slander on this podcast. No, fair enough. She's but good, incredible she's, actress. She's... I thought I. Oh well, I'm sorry. You also like Taylor Swift. Twilight. Yes, actually, I that take exception to, to that anything. too. I take exception to that as well, Connor. That nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I was kidding. No, I so could give well. you five Kristen Stewart movies to watch right now in which she is phenomenal. We don't need them. Just pick I'm, one I'm that's sure. not Twilight, and it's probably pretty good. It's the same with Pattinson. After yep. Twilight, those two went off and became yep. great actors. If you wanted more on that, go and listen to our episode on the Lighthouse. <laughs> but um, Carl, True. pop back over. Yeah, we did. We talked about both of them for a long time. I'm sorry, Carl. Go ahead. No, it's all right. Uh, it's just everything is so mediocre here, except for the shot Ooh. composition, and a lot of that feels composed to me. It's like hmm. the first half of this movie feels I'm lost in it, but then it starts. It's again, it's that magician thing where it's starting to flash. Like I, I see what's happening before it's happening. Like oh, this is that. I don't know. It just sometimes I feel like one of the. When, no, okay. Sometimes I feel like one of the issues with doing a show like this is sometimes I get caught up or we get caught up watching it too closely. And so as soon as I started noticing those things, I couldn't unsee it. It's like as soon as you become aware of like cutting in a movie, like camera angles and in, in, in how it's edited, you can't you can't see the movie anymore. You're like, oh, my God, camera three, camera one, camera four. And you can't get it out of your head. As hmm. soon as like I noticed like, 
oh that's another beautiful shot and very well composited and it looks like a porch this one does too and so does that one and so does that one and it wasn't so like i was overcome with how beautiful that was it become very it became very tedious and felt rote to me to be completely honest hmm. one of the, one of my thoughts about the the way that the the portrait or the painting framings are composed is i like the idea that in the 1770s there was more stillness that the world sure. was more like paintings we, we talked in her about um how art can influence life and life can influence art and one of the things that that struck me is all of the images that we have from this time period are paintings mm -hmm. so if we're trying to create the best possible or the most accurate possible image or impression of that time period we're not creating um gangs of new york we're not creating a a, 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 sure. a moving picture where you can smell the flies and you can blah 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 if we're just taking what the past has taught us and told us and translating that to screen then what you end up with is a more a more composed world a more structured world and i think that there's something being said here about reality as opposed to artifice as well because sure. especially with that first portrait that we get of Heloise, which is, yeah, okay, it looks like her. But even Heloise points out, like, you think that's what I look like? Like, yeah, I get that that's my likeness, but that's not me. That's not me. You think that's me? Is that what you're saying? And I think that that some of that we're seeing some of that here, which is like we're shown a beautifully composed portrait of three women making breakfast. And then the next thing that happens is one of them finds out that the other one's pregnant and then they try it. They spend two days doing a home abortion. So we get a very beautiful composed image of women doing what women are supposed to do in the kitchen. And then once we're back out of the, the that framed composed portrait and back into the real world, now we're dealing with the real the realities of being a woman in 1770. You know what I mean? And I think it is in, it, it's very important that Heloise insists that Marianne make a portrait commemorating Sophie's abortion. Because not only that, she tells her to look during said abortion. Right. She and I, looks, Marianne looks away and Heloise says, look. And I think that, yes. And I, well, actually, before we go any further, what do you think, Bird? <laughs> Wait, what do I what do I think about what? Um, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Specifically about that scene. I know. Well, I, I know. I, we I, got we got there. We got there real quick, and like, I wasn't. I'm. I'm I done wasn't ready. My, I'm done with my bit, and I apologize for Taylor Swift. It's um, okay. Anyway, yeah. I mean, so where do you guys want to jump to from there? I I particularly love the editing. I have dozens of notes. I think I have about a half a dozen notes on the editing. There's there was one mistake in here that not mistake. There was an edit point that I noticed and it bugged me because the rest of that moment is so unbelievably powerful. Was it a boom mic? No, the <laughs> there's a there's a stutter because they hid a cut on screen and they don't usually do that. Oh, okay. Usually you if you're going to do a hidden edit point, you do it like in between rooms in a dark hallway yeah. or on a door closing and opening or Where something like that. that. Okay, so when she's got the the candle and she's running the candle over the unfinished portrait that the man tried mm. to cap capture, mm -hmm. and actually, really quick sidebar, this is actually salient point. Um, the body you mentioned earlier that the women are focused entirely on each other's faces, and we don't get that 
when a dude looks at a woman in a movie, it's the up and down. Let's check the whole package. All right, let's see what she's working with, and then, oh, yeah, is she pretty? These women are just focused on each other's eyes and lips and nose. And, I mean, Marianne, we have a monologue about an ear and how an ear relates to a cheek and how you mm-hmm. pay attention to the lighting of that. We never once hear about Heloise's breasts or her butt or her legs or whatever. Um, I think it's really telling that the portrait that the man did is the body and the hands and the breasts and n- not a single bit of the face. The face was completely mm-hmm. lost on him, uh, completely uncapturable. There's an artist who's notorious and was taught to you in school because he never painted the faces of his female subjects. They're always facing away, covered, hidden, oh, or just unrendered. Shit, it's the guy who painted ballerinas. Right. Uh, I'm having such a brain fart. Sorry. This, I know I'm... I can't I'm, stand him, so... Right. I'm asking you to drag up your art history classes from a decade ago. That was my bad. But, um... But this is a thing. This is an. This is specifically an a thing that is. Uh, Degas was it the yes, French impressionist? You. Degas. Degas. Yeah. yeah. So this. This he is was a... French. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, it's so she's looking at that portrait with the candle, and right when she gets over the heart, she accidentally brushes the oil. And Bird pointed out that oil paints are intensely flammable, so this is very realistic. Yes. Um, so he, she accidentally brushes the canvas and it catches on fire right over the heart and we get that amazing. I'm glad you noticed that too. I have a note specifically about the heart was lit on fire. Well, I noticed that immediately <laughs> after I noticed the stutter as the hidden edit point on screen happened as the candle was moving. So as the candle comes ah, up, there gotcha. is a like, dick, and it's barely there. But I think if they had corrected any further, it would have looked weird. Yeah, but they, they were not entirely able to gloss to cover that over. Gotcha. But, but then, boom, that the heart catches catch on it. fire. We get the wide shot. Well, I'm staring at the screen looking for stuff like that. But <laughs> when we do that, when we do that zoom out and we get that that gorgeous flame consuming. And I think it's really important that the heart that bursts into flames, that the passions contained within this docile, frozen, headless image burst forth and destroy that image. So we're left this this thing that is meant to represent Heloise, the true passions inherent in that figure consume its effigy. I thought it was gorgeous. And then it's thrown into the mm-hmm. fire. I thought it was totally beautiful. Um, but that was the only little um, f- like filmmaking flaw in an otherwise, I would say at least visually, I think most of us can agree that at least visually, it's pretty fucking easy on the eyes. This movie's beautiful. If nothing else, if nothing else, and I think there's a lot more going on, but I, that's a pretty good baseline. It's a damn good looking movie, no matter what way you cut mm-hmm. it. Um, do you guys want to stick with editing for a second? Because I wanted there's another. Yeah, sure. So there is there's some moments in here that I thought are pretty creepy, actually, in a cool way. This movie it does have some tonal shifts that are very creepy. <laughs> It, and I'm like, where the fuck are we going here? It feels kind here? of haunted housey got some to me. Ghosties too, yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn it, there's, there's yeah, a ghost sure. Yeah, kind of fucking stupid. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Wow. Oh no, that's my. I hate that. That was the worst thing. As soon as that happened, well, we'll talk about it. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. <sighs> no, you're okay. Are you, talk, are you talking about? Um, okay, so I've already fucking. mentioned the headless portrait, but one of the things, the other things that I wanted to talk about is when. I think Marianne has gone looking for this piece of art. 
I think she's looking for it because it's it's left in her rooms, right? It's in the rooms mm-hmm. where she's staying. So we see we get these beautiful long follow shots and this is something that you do see in french cinema is long shots of people traveling from place to place on foot mostly it's to showcase usually paris but in this case Mm -hmm. it showcases it gives us sort of an establishing shot of the house which i love but also going all the way back to me being 12 years old 13 years old seeing pulp fiction for the first time and watching quentin tarantino track on butch for sick like six minutes of screen time i always I'm down for a long let's watch somebody walk from behind shot. I just fucking love it, especially when we're going around corners and getting reveals. And one of my favorite parts of that that early chunk is the reveal of the headless portrait for the first time because it's turned backwards on its easel. Mm. So we've just gotten that triptych shot, right, where we have visually equated Marianne with her blank canvases. She is her painting. So we've we've associated her visually very strongly with paintings and canvases and then the next thing we see is it's oh my god it's like that creepy ass shot in us connor mm. when um when the little girl is in the fun house and she turns around and the reflection the reflection yeah. in the mirror yeah. does not turn around and she walks right mm-hmm. up on her own back this is that Ooh. because when she, dude yeah. when she turns and she's got that candle and there's no score and it's the dark house and you hear the waves somewhere in the creaking wind and you get flickering candle flame and what is on this canvas what is on this canvas i don't like that i can't see its face it's the blair witch dude it's a canvas on a fucking <laughs> easel but it's the blair witch standing facing into the corner there's something yeah. on there that i don't want to see and what we ultimately see is how men see women and it's shocking. Mm-hmm. That's not how I read it the first time, but if that's the metaphor that we're playing with with the candle flame, no wonder that's a shocking and upsetting image. What we, what's shocking and upsetting about it to begin with is that it's a headless, a portrait of a headless woman with just this mm-hmm. blown out gray where her face should be. And that, whatever you're expecting, it isn't that. And that yeah. literally made me gasp on my couch. I thought it was <laughs> awesome. And then, But if we go, and, and this is where I want to talk about the editing. That's creepy to me. That that sort of haunted house vibe. And also I'd like to point out that we are when we first see the canvas backwards, Marianne is also facing away from us. And since she was a canvas a moment ago, her back and the canvas back match up with each other. It's it it I can't fully break it down, but I, there's a lot of really <laughs> deep symbolism cuz I just finished watching the movie 2 hours ago or whatever. Sure, yeah. But there's a lot of really deep symbolic stuff going on in here that's really beautiful and was operating on me under the surface as I was watching. Mm-hmm. I was aware of things like that, like the back of this canvas and Marianne's back. Those are images I'm meant to equate. I don't know yeah. why I need more time to sit on it, but I love that it's making me feel the way it's making me feel. And what we cut mm-hmm. to is a dress and feet moving down a hall. And we slowly <laughs> pan up this green dress. Yeah. It's a great cut because we've, so we've just seen this green dress Mm-hmm. And w- we've seen this dress in the portrait, so we assume that we're about to meet Heloise. This is this is Heloise wearing the dress, wearing the yeah. dress. And instead, <laughs> and we pan up, and we pan up, and we get to the bodice and the shoulders, and then there's no head there. <laughs> and you're he- you're fucked up because you've seen the feet walking, and you're like, I wait, what? And but then you realize, <laughs> just Sophie carrying it's, it. Right, Sophie. It's, it's Sophie just... carrying a dress, but. <laughs> But come on, man! Like tiny, that's a tiny Sophie. That is a great. Oh, edit. Yes. Just a little yeah. wee Sophie. She's wee. She's quite wee. 
Um, yeah. So before I before I just keep talking about as in yes editing, <laughs> we, we as in well, uh, we no, so hey, all right French. Of, I forgot. Speaking of we, yeah, uh, there is a, a transition about halfway through this film. I I don't know exactly where it happens, but um, Marianne goes from saying we. O-U-I, which is yes in French, to O-U-A-I-S, way, which hmm. is French for yeah. It's like a, a less formal yes. And it's like as she and Heloise are falling in love, she drops the formality. And it's so subtle. And it like I only noticed it because another reviewer I was reading pointed it out. But that's incredible to me. Just the, the transition from we, oui, hmm. you know, the very formal we. Oui, you know, very right. stilted to way, you know, and, and you can hear it if you're listening for it. And and this time around, I actually did listen. It's later on, like towards the way end of the movie, when she starts to go way, right. way instead of we. Um, but I, I just thought that was fascinating. Like she's become more comfortable with her. So it's not, yes, it's yeah. Like you would a friend or a lover. And I, I just think that's really interesting. It is. That's that's a good small With the detail. language barrier that is inherent for all of us, because I don't think any of us are fluent in, in French watching this movie. So. My my small grumpy cat thought, though, is do we, th- <laughs> do we think, okay, now is that really as impressive as we think it is, or is it impressive because it's, it's a subtlety in French. If you can do that in an American movie too, and you just have a character sure. start saying "yeah" instead of "yes, sir," and that mm-hmm. shows that they're they're common. But just because this is we, Carl and I talk about this sometimes <laughs> with foreign language films, where it's like I'm not positive if what I'm seeing is brilliant or if I'm just blown right. away because I don't speak that language. Right. So, but but no, I'm I'm with you. That I that, just think it's intentional. I love, I, yes, like it, it is intentional that the formality is dropped and. And so it's not something I would pick up as a non-French speaker, but I'm glad that it was pointed out to me right. because then I could listen for it this time around watching it and go like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's okay. Good. It's good. It's good it is. Detail. It's yeah. And I, and I think I, I, I think that I love watching foreign films and everything, but there is as an English speaking American, there is an inherent barrier there that sometimes mm. prevents me from seeing deeper things about the film Yep. Um, you know, I, the second or third time I saw Parasite, which I still don't know if you guys have seen it yet. I, like, not, I yeah. noticed a lot more after having been through it and knowing the plot and knowing what the lines are supposed to be. I could finally get to the point, you know, like the third time I saw it where I could ignore the subtitles completely because I knew the story already. And I just picked up so much more watching it. And again, that's a reason I wish I'd given yeah. you guys more time to to sit with this because I could have watched this days ago, it, but I yeah. was watching The Wire instead. That was on me, man, a hundred percent. I, I hey, would like look, to... man, Omar coming. I understand. You, you gotta. <laughs> I would like to know if there are more language or cultural things that are happening that are in that same vein that we're not mm-hmm. catching. Yeah. Especially things that would uh, yeah, I mean, be. Yeah more relevant 1770s versus 2021. I wonder too, what a literal translation of the French, uh, how the lines would come across too, because I'm sure what we're seeing on screen is not the exact words that are being spoken in French and the exact meanings. It's a, it's a, a, an English translation of it, which sometimes things can be lost. I just noticed the subtitles on the trailer were different from the film. Oh, oh really? Playing okay. the trailer. I yeah. mean, shit. 
we're, we're, you run into that with like i mean i'm always going to talk about kung fu when we talk about foreign language films but, <laughs> but it's no but it absolutely is yeah, because yeah, if absolutely. you if you want i have to watch if i love a kung fu flick i have to watch it three times once i watch it with the english subtitles then i watch it with like the mandarin voice or the english voiceover the dub yeah the mm-hmm. dub and right. they're i think 99.9 percent of the time they're saying two completely different fucking oh, things yeah. oh yeah and not even subtly in cases sometimes whole plot points fucking change i'm like yeah what the hell and like, so i can imagine it in something that is where because the the use of of words is so um specific and mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of them the, the spoken word it's the script for dialogue must be 20 pages for this film right yeah it's not a lot so anything that is said is super super important and so if we're not getting exactly what's intended that could have that could have a major impact on how this this the story is told right so i mean watching this i didn't feel that the that the translation left any there wasn't there i was never i was never sitting there thinking like Oh shit! I wonder. I wonder what I just missed in the translation. I felt that the mm-hmm. the translated script was was its own fully understandable, fully. Yeah. It, it, oh, absolutely. I was well. Yeah. If you and didn't know was, that, if you didn't know that Woody really. Allen made the made Madame Butterfly, you'd feel the same way because you don't have any point of reference. Did Woody Allen? So make what's actually being Madame Butterfly? No, man, but whatever. What's up, Tiger Lily? I'm sorry. Oh, oh. So oh. he takes he takes a he takes a movie and rewrites the dialogue for it and drops mm. it in. Kung Pao right. enter the fist. If you don't, yeah. if oh. you if you haven't read or aren't aware of what the original dialogue is supposed to be, you don't. It could be anything, and you would feel like you probably weren't missing anything because sure. you don't have any reference point for what it's supposed to be. Right. It could literally be anything. Yeah. Sure. With this though, I I think you're right, Max. I I do believe the English translation is as close to exactly what Celine Siama intended the the words to be. I mean, because they're poetic. The English lines are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I um, sidebar you know, briefly? The... Sure. So I used to... I'll allow it. I... Watch yourself. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I will proceed. Approach the um... 